Friends, Christ is risen. The Lord be with you on this second Sunday of Easter Tide. As always, it's a gift to be together in worship and to open up God's Word. And as Hope College enters its last week of classes, I hope you'll join along with me in praying for and rooting on our students to the finish line that he who began a good work would bring it to completion in Christ. For now, though, we're back in John's gospel, but before we get into it, I want to offer just one disclaimer, that it is a feature of our time that preachers in some churches, if not ashamed exactly, are embarrassed to say anything straightforward about the resurrection. This is Fleming Rutledge, herself a great preacher, writing, I went to hear a sermon preached in an Ivy League chapel by a PhD student who I, whom I knew to be a believer, but you wouldn't have known it from his sermon. I asked him afterward why he had been so timid, and he murmured something about the congregation being very skeptical and urbane. Well, indeed, the uneducated common men who became apostles after the resurrection, might have been similarly intimidated. If they had, however, you and I would have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. So the disclaimer is this. At any point, any one of you, and I know we're streaming online here, but you are given full permission to hold me to account if I drift from the main theme, and that is the name of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. So hear the word of the Lord from John's Gospel. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of the disciples were together. And Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. And they said to him, we'll go with you. And so they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. And just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? And they said to him, no. And he said to them, cast your net onto the right side of the boat, and there you will find some. So they cast it. And now they were not able to haul in the net because of the multitude of the fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. And when Peter heard it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came into the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from land, but about a hundred yards off. 
And when they came out on land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. And Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and dragged the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many fish, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared say to him, who are you? For they knew it was the Lord. And Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and likewise with the fish. This, now the third time, Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. And when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my lambs. And for a second time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, tend to my sheep. And for the third time, Jesus said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved For he said to him, for the third time, do you love me? And Peter said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you would dress yourself and walked wherever you wanted to. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you to where you do not want to go. Now this he said to show by what kind of death Peter was to glorify God. And after saying these things, Jesus said to him, follow me. And when Peter turned, he saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and said to him, Lord, Who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Now the saying spread among the brothers that this disciple was not to die. But Jesus did not say that he was not to die, but that If it is my will that I remain, that he remain until I come, what is that to you? This is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things. And we know that his testimony is true. Now, there are many other things that Jesus did, and were every one of them to be written. I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that would be written. This is the word of the Lord.
Thanks be to God. That's the conclusion to John's gospel. And years ago, I remember reading those final lines, so grateful that a biblical author would take such a key question head on. Why record merely these words, deeds, and stories of Jesus? What about all the other stuff? So on one level, it can be puzzling and even a little bit frustrating that this is all we have. But then there's also a beauty to the economy and straight of the gospel witness. This is the word of God that the spirit of God intended us to have, and it's a great gift. And not only that, but we have four different angles from four very different voices and evangelists, which is an absolute treasure trove for the long obedience of discipleship. Above all, the way John concludes his gospel hints that there is more to come, that the story isn't over, that if it's true that the Lord is risen, it follows that he's alive and on the move, creating ever new situations of surprise and joy. All this possible because of a single central fact, that is the resurrection. And having said all that, just three things I'd love to dial in on in the next few minutes in light of John's gospel conclusion. First, a resurrection meal. Second, a resurrection charge. And third, a resurrection gift. So first, the meal. As day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore with a charcoal fire in place, fresh fish and bread awaiting the hungry disciples. This is one of those biblical stories that I absolutely savor. One that is most relatable to West Michigan natives. If anyone else has been dreaming of summer bonfires in the last week after a long Michigan winter and snow flurries this past week, I don't blame you at all. Whether it's at a camp like Geneva or Young Life or maybe a backyard barbecue, it's coming and it's coming soon. The summer before my second year of grad school, three of my great friends, Caleb Nykamp, Colin McKee, and my brother Aaron and I embarked on a golf trip to northern Michigan. And we had a limited window of time, and so we were trying to fit in all the activities imaginable. We were also trying to do so on a budget. So we packed up our camping gear, tents and air mattresses and the like, and loaded up our golf clubs as well as hauled my buddy's 1987 Mastercraft on a trailer. We were going for the three-for-one deal. Imagine the Beverly Hillbillies rolling up to watch the Masters, and you're starting to get the picture. Now, we finally got to our campsite at dusk, and thankfully, our resident youth pastor, always prepared, Caleb Nykamp, was in charge of campfire breakfast the next morning, eggs, potatoes, and bacon over the open fire as the sun was rising. As C.S. Lewis said, is there any pleasure on earth as great as a circle of friends by a good fire? 
And this is exactly what we should be picturing here. Jesus says to the disciples, come and have breakfast. A gospel invitation with endless applications. This resurrection meal in particular also happens to be a timely one. John, our narrator, one of the fishermen, alongside his discouraged and famished comrades, Peter, Thomas, Nathaniel, John's brother James, and two others, seven of the 11 disciples back in Galilee, back to the daily grind, working the jobs they held before they were called by Jesus. And not to nitpick too much, but John gives us the impression that they're a little rusty at their trade. All night, they didn't catch a single thing. But just as day was breaking, a man calls out to them from the shore and offers them a fishing tip for the ages. And then John, like Mary at the empty tomb, recognized it is the Lord. Peter then realizes it too, plunges into the water, leaving his mates high and dry to the work of rowing and hauling in the net full of fish. As Eugene Peterson quips, don't you just love it when people with spiritual experiences leave you to clean up the dishes? But this resurrection meal is no mere spiritual experience. Jesus is still living and moving in the created world of flesh and blood, appetites and eating, work and play, love and friendship. It's why the great teachers of the early church dogmatically rejected the Gnostic heresies that Jesus was never actually fully human. Jesus, who fed the 5,000 with fish and bread as the incarnate Lord, the same who serves fish and bread as the risen Lord. I love how this scene reveals that in the light of the risen Christ, even and especially our everyday, ordinary living, like preparing, eating, and enjoying a meal, can help us to practice resurrection. Every time we pick up a knife and fork, every time we say, pass the salt, please, every time we take a second helping of cauliflower or whatever, says Peterson, we are in a setting congenial to Christian formation. Our Sunday worship is important. The retreats we make are important. But over a lifetime, the unnoticed and unrecognized presence of the risen Christ at our meals may be more formative of the life of Christ in us. The point being, take some time to practice resurrection over a meal this week or in the weeks to come. If you're a college student, plan a meal for your friends or housemates or shoot me a text or an email because I'm buying every time. Or if you're retired, call up an old friend or a new acquaintance. Or moms and dads, how about some time together around the family table? 
What a golden opportunity to embrace the Jesus way, to live out of our identity in Christ, to give and to receive, to know and to be known, to experience bounty and generosity, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and likewise with the fish. This, now the third time that Jesus revealed himself to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So after they finish the meal, Jesus still has some unfinished business. And so he turns to Peter. And I wonder if you notice that Jesus no longer addressed him as Peter, that is the rock, but as Simon, the name prior to when Peter was a disciple. After all, the last time we saw Peter around a charcoal fire was at the site of his infamous denial, the dark night of the soul before the crucifixion. So here's Peter once more around a charcoal fire, but now in the light of day, face to face with the crucified and risen Lord who says to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Peter's threefold denial of Christ reversed in this glorious exchange with Jesus. For he is the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness could not overcome it. He then, Jesus, first recommissions Peter as both shepherd and evangelist, one who feeds the flock and one who will be a fisher of men and women in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Jesus then gives Peter his resurrection charge, which will ultimately lead him to bear his own cross. They will stretch out his hands and carry Peter to where he does not want to go. That is death by crucifixion. Peter is a disciple who must go the way that Jesus went. He is not to look around and to see who else is following. He is to look one way only, to Jesus who goes before him. And getting caught up in comparisons is a distraction to this charge, which is why Jesus rebukes Peter when he asks what will become of his friend and fellow disciple John. Whether the charge leads to martyrdom like Peter or a long life of abiding in Christ like John the Evangelist, the resurrection charge from Jesus remains, follow me. Or move to a different continent to serve in a mission field. Or stay and be a faithful presence in our own challenging post-Christendom context. The key to this charge is faithfulness, to live out of our identity in Christ for wherever God calls you, equips you, and sends you. As each of you has been given a gift, writes Peter to the early churches, let him or her use it to serve others as stewards of God's grace in its, multi in its multiple forms. 
the charge from Jesus to Peter and by extension to all of us leads to our third and final point, the resurrection gift. Looking now at verse 24, this is the disciple who is bearing witness about these things and who has written these things and we know that his testimony is true. The gift is the living testimony of the faithful, the one holy Catholic apostolic church, the body of believers around the globe and down through the ages. You cannot get to know about Jesus unless someone goes and tells you, says Leslie Newbegin, that simple piece of logic underlies the whole splendid ministry of St. Paul as we see it described in the Acts and is interpreted in the rest of the New Testament. It underlies some of the most moving chapters in Christian history. The mission of the Irish to Germany, of the early Jesuits to South India, of the Protestant missions of the 18th and 19th centuries, of Azariah to the jungle of Dornicol, and of Kagawa to the slums of Tokyo. The haunting phrase of Isaiah, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news, has been remembered generation after generation. But it didn't just happen out there and back then. What about the efforts of ministries like Words of Hope, broadcasting the words of life in places where to profess Christ is like a death sentence? Or the 100-plus Hope College student Young Life leaders that we celebrated this past Thursday night right here in Pillar who point high schoolers and middle schoolers to Jesus Christ. Or the good work of M&M Ministries and Holland Gateway Mission and on and on into every sector of public life. The resurrection gift is the living testimony of the faithful that we may be, as the Apostle Paul says, mutually encouraged by each other's faith. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And here at the table, we are met by the risen Christ, just like that resurrection meal at the beach, where the risen Lord Jesus takes bread and wine and offers his body and blood. If you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord and acknowledge him as Savior, you're welcome to partake of communion in this virtual way. And if you're not at that place in life or in faith, that is completely fine. We are so grateful that you've joined us this morning. The body of Christ given for you and the blood of Christ shed for you.